Well, I enjoy people that are musically inclined because that is not me. So thank you to the worship team. You know, I was taught as a child, if you don't sing good, sing loud. So uh, some of you should be singing loud with me. Amen. There we go. (laughs) So I was thinking of a fun way that we could celebrate Mother's Day. And so I thought we would do some things. I've got a couple of gifts here. And I thought one of the ways that we could celebrate mothers is we could recognize a few unique mothers in our midst. And so we're going to take a few minutes and have some fun recognizing these mothers. So first off, I just want to know, are there any mothers in here who have had a baby this past year? If there's a mother in here, I see a mother over here who had a baby this Any other mothers had a baby? Any others? Going once, going twice. We have a wonderful gift for you. It is a geranium from Fred Myers. Uh, congratulations. You know, what we really wish should give you is some caffeine, but a geranium is, is, is what we have for you today. Yes, yes. Congratulations. I have to admit, I am a baby guy, so if you need someone to hold the baby, I'm willing. I'm willing. Let's see, number two. Let's recognize the mother that has the most children at church today. So let's see. Is there any mothers in here? Raise your hand if you have three kids at church here today. Raise your hand if you have three or more. Three or more, okay. Raise your hand if you have four or more. I see see three hands still up, four hands up. All right, how about five or more kids? Five five or more kids here today? Five? Boy, they got to be here and you got to be a mom. (laughs) So I see three. All right, anybody got six? Anybody? We've got three here with five. So let's go ahead. And uh, the beautiful girl with curly hair right there, um, that's my wife. That's why I can say she's beautiful. Uh, we have five kids. Belinda Caldwell, she's got five. And, and Miss Weller over here. Uh, let's give these moms a round of applause. Um, okay, that's, that's four. I've got to keep track. I've got eight of these. So I've got to make sure I have enough. Uh, are there any mothers in here today that have a child serving in the military? Any mothers in here today that have a child? We've got one right here. Let's go ahead and recognize um, that one. Thank you. That's... And uh, how about this one? How about this one? This is for you, you grandmothers out there. Okay. Let's see. Grandmothers, I want to find the grandmother that has the most grandchildren. The most, so grandmothers, raise your hand. I need grandmothers, raise your hand. All right. I need, give, I need a grandmother to give me a number. How many grandchildren do you have? Let's start right here. What do you have? Three and a half. What do you have in the back? We got five. That's the new record right here. Seven. I can't receive that far. Seven. How many do you have here? Eighteen. Woo. What do we have here? Nine. Uh, what do we, uh, One. And I, I've got one. Well, I know you've got 16. So we've got 18. Now, now here's, the, here's the test. Can you tell me all their birthdays? All right. We've got, let's give both of these ladies a, uh, uh, uh. praise the Lord for, for kids and grandkids. And the last one, last one, this one's kind of a fun one. Are there any mothers in here expecting? Any expectant mothers? Surprise! Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> all right. All right. And, and I, I, you know, when I said that, I just pictured 
Uh, Mr. Morrissey raising his hand and saying, I'm, no, you can't be, you're a guy, sorry. All right. Um, you know, Mother's Day is just a great opportunity for us to celebrate mothers. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just take a minute right now and just, just pray for our moms. And so if you would just join me, we're going to pray for moms as we get ready to start out the day. So let's join in prayer. God, you are the parent of all. Now, we are grateful today as we gather as children birthed in your image, blessed offspring of your creation. And God, we thank you indeed for the women among us and around us, God, in whom you've gifted the privilege and the challenge of being mothers and mother figures. So God, today we thank you for all mothers everywhere. God, we pray that you would strengthen them in the ways that they raise their children. Grant them wisdom for the lessons that they teach, discernment in the ways that they discipline. And God, May others grant them the thanks and honor that they deserve. God, we thank you for the grandmothers and sisters and aunts and teachers and Sunday school teachers and mentors and big sisters and anyone everywhere who also plays a motherly role in the life of another boy or girl or an adult. God, we pray that you would grant them the ability to model the example of Christ for all within their influence, that they might share the love that you have so freely shown to all of us. God, we also remember those whom Mother's Day is a source of discomfort, perhaps even anxiety and pain. God, for those this day that brings a melancholy, melancholy remembrance of their own mothers or children who have died, Lord, we pray for those that your peace and comfort would be with them. And may they give thanks for their mother's lasting influence. And Lord, we pray for those who ex- experience uh, pain and, and remorse and guilt for their mothers. God, grant them the power of healing and forgiveness. Remind us of the wrongs we have done to each other and the power we have in your name to bridge even the deepest divides. Lord, for all these things, we give thanks. God, who is a loving father to us all, in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. Mothers, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're with us today, and I pray the rest of your day is uh, full of fun and celebration. And for those of you that are like me, don't forget to call mom when you leave church today. So, whew, all right, there we go. Now, I have to say, as we've been going through this sermon series called Ignite, I become challenged every time we, we open up this book of Acts. Because as we are reading and learning week after week of how God is igniting the church how God's mission is spreading like a wildfire across Jerusalem and how people are learning of who Jesus Christ is and they're putting their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm in awe of it. And I am so desirous that God's spirit would be poured out on us in this place, that God would ignite Restoration Church and that we would see people coming to know Christ just like the first church did. And I find myself asking this question. I find myself asking, can we, should we expect to see the same kind of dramatic growth in the church through the gospel today? Do we have the ability to see this kind of Holy Spirit being poured out and people being saved? Can we see this kind of growth? I'm coming to grips that if we would see this kind of growth That by the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we also need to be as bold in our proclamation of Jesus Christ 
as the apostles were, even in the face of opposition. Through our first three chapters that we studied in the book of Acts, God has blessed their boldness with a positive reception. But today in Acts chapter 4, we see the first persecution of the Christians. We'll see today in chapter 4, the very first persecution. So, I want to come on to this idea of, of the boldness of the apostles. Because it's something that we see time and time again, how bold they were in proclaiming who Jesus is. And so when we start thinking about boldness, what comes to your mind when you hear the bold? Now, if you're like me and you're in in love with Dr. Pepper, you think of Dr. Pepper being bold, refreshing. Anybody? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Maybe if you're a smartphone fan, you pull out your your BlackBerry bold phone. You know, and and Black, does anybody still have Blackberries? A couple years ago, BlackBerry was kind of the thing, but now it seems there's all these other types of phones as well. Maybe, maybe you are thinking about the bold statements that some people make. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe this is what I was thinking about when I thought of bold. I, I grew up with, with three sisters at home and a single mom. And so one of the things, whenever I'd come home from school, you know what would be on? The bold and the restless. No, the, 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 the bold and the beautiful And the young and the restless. This is daytime TV, soap opera. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've seen those types of things. The bold and the beautiful is is what that one was called. I've never seen that show, but I have sisters who used to watch it. What about bold predictions? I remember reading last summer that Fox Sports boldly predicted that the Buffalo Bills would be in the playoffs this year. Uh, They weren't. They finished at 6 and 10. Uh, you know, what about this? In 2004, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, he made this bold prediction. In 2004, he said, within two years from now, spam will be solved. <laughs> How many of you got any spam email in the last week? What about, what about religious people who make bold predictions as well? There was this guy, if you remember, uh, two years ago named Harold Camping. And he predicted that Jesus Christ would return to the earth on May 21st of 2011. (laughs) And guess what happened? That day came and that day passed and the Lord did not return. And then he predicted, well, I'm five months off. It's going to happen five months from now. And that day came and passed and the rapture never came. And and here we still are and, and the Lord has not returned. You know, there's actually a Wikipedia site that is dedicated to helping people become bold. They had five suggestions on how we can become bold. Two of those suggestions were this. Number one was to do something unpredictable. And their suggestions to be bold was to wear high heels. That is to be bold. They said, you want to be bold, skydive. Take a dance class. Okay, if you're going to be bold, number one is to do something unpredictable. Guys, high heels are not our thing. The second thing they said is, if you want to be bold, just pretend you're bold. Just pretend and you see this with, with certain people. They wear certain shirts that they just look bold. And they think, man, I'm making a bold statement by the shirt. But you and I are looking at this guy and we're saying, that is an ugly shirt. What, what would cause somebody to wear a shirt like that? <laughs> There's a difference be, in being bold for a reaction and, and a holy boldness that we read in the book of Acts. Are you laughing because you're wearing one of those shirts today? Uh, well, oh! All right. All right. I I asked for that one. I asked for that one. 
we see here throughout the book of Acts, through this sermon series of Ignite, that there is a holy boldness that we see. There is a boldness by the apostles to proclaim Jesus Christ time and time again. And it is a striking difference between us trying to be bold on our own and a holy boldness that God gives us. Being bold on our own results in us doing crazy things like jumping off buildings and, and wearing bold t-shirts. Okay? But when we think of religious boldness, of holy boldness, it's something that we cannot muster up on our own. It's something that we cannot force on ourselves. It is given to us by God so that God can use us for his bold mission, which is to make Christ known, to know Christ and to make Christ known. So today I believe that God will give us an accurate picture of, of what holy boldness really is through Peter and John. And, and I hope that we will learn uh, how God can give us that same kind of holy boldness and how God might give his blessing on Restoration Church just as he gave the early church. So if you have a Bible uh, today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, we've got some in the back. We'd love to get you one. Uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll have one of the guys come up and, and, and bring you one. Um, we're uh, we're going to be in, in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Let's, uh, let's read this together. And it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, uh, the number of the men came to about 5,000. Uh, the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas uh, and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by, why, or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that as notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in anyone, to anyone in, the, in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot speak, but, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, 
They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this day to be able to come in, that we can read your word together. God, I pray that as we come together, we'll realize this isn't just a lecture on, on, on how to feel good and how to be more religious people. But God, I pray that we will understand this is your word. I pray that you would open your word up to us and give us understanding. That you would draw us to yourself. That you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you help us to put the distractions out of our minds to be able to focus on who you are and what you've done. Lord, we praise you and thank you. And we ask this in your, ni- your name. Amen. <clears throat> so this story is really a continuation of last week's story. Last week, we read about Peter and John as they were heading to the temple. Uh, they came across a man, a beggar, who had not been able to use his legs his entire lifetime. Forty years old, he, he had no use of his legs. And so he's brought by his friends to the temple. And he's sitting in front of what's called the beautiful gate. And he's asking for alms. He's asking for, for a handout. He's asking for a few bucks. He's panhandling, so to speak. And Peter interacts with him and says, Through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this man is miraculously healed through Jesus Christ. And this man, this beggar, he follows Peter and John into the temple. And this creates a crowd because the, the people of the temple said, Man, this is a guy that's been sitting in front of the gate every day asking us for money. He had no use of his legs. And now his legs are made strong and they're healed. And they're, they're naturally saying, what's going on? So Peter, filled by, filled by the Spirit, he does what any preacher does. He takes an offering. No, he does what any preacher does and he preaches a sermon. And he preaches about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And he directs the people to repent and to turn to God. And this is where chapter 4 picks up. It says, as Peter is still preaching, in come the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, and they interrupt Peter. See, they've heard and they've seen enough of what is going on. They're, they're the people that are always at the temple. They're the religious people. And they see Peter and John preaching, and they see all these crowds of people coming. And they say, we have to do something about this. They're upset by what they're seeing. Verse, uh, verse 2 says that they were greatly annoyed because of two reasons. The first reasons they were annoyed is because the Peter and John were teaching the people. You see, just three weeks ago, we learned after Paul's first message that 3,000 people became followers of Christ. That got saved and got baptized. And now in verse 4, we read about 5,000 men, not including the women and children, who believed in what they were preaching. And so now this number isn't the entire crowd. It's just those who believed. And you've got to picture these religious people looking and having a jealousy. That man, Peter and John have attracted this crowd. And they're greatly annoyed and frustrated because Peter and John have attracted the crowd. And secondly, we see in verse 2 that they were annoyed because Peter and John were preaching the resurrection. Why would they be upset about preaching the resurrection? Well, you've got to understand who these people were. The Sadducees, they were spiritual leaders and part of the ruling authority. These people were were loyal to the Roman government over them, 
And they were in association with the wealthy class of people. Their interest, their purpose was to simply maintain the status quo and maintain their political power by not rocking the boat against the Roman government. Additionally, the other thing we have to understand about the Sadducees is they were known for their denial of the existence of angels and spirits, as well as they were known for their denial of the resurrection of the dead. See, these were religious people who believed that this life was all there really was. There's nothing else really out there. In fact, they had already spread a false report that Jesus did not rise from the dead, but that the disciples had stolen his body. So here we have Peter and John, and they're proclaiming Jesus Christ, and they're proclaiming the resurrection, and this becomes a threat to these religious people, to the Sadducees. This would make them look bad, and they were a threat to their power. You see, because if the resurrection was true, and if people started believing in the resurrection, then that would mean that the Sadducees' beliefs were wrong. They would be exposed as liars, and they would be guilty of crucifying the awaiting, awaited Messiah. So they step in all hot and all bothered and angry and are willing to do whatever it takes to stop God's mission from igniting. And so they have Peter and John arrested. I want you to see, number one for us this morning, is that holy boldness will create opposition. Holy boldness will create opposition. Chapter 4 ushers in something new for the church. As we said in the previous three chapters of Acts, we read about many people being saved. The disciples being filled with the Spirit, and they were speaking in this holy boldness, and people were believing. But here in chapter 4, we see persecution arise. The first persecution we see. In fact, as we read through the rest of the book of Acts, there are 24 other chapters in the book of Acts. And out of those 24 chapters, 21 of those chapters will continue the message and teaching about the persecution that happens to the Christians and to the church. So here in chapter 4, I wonder if Peter and John, I wonder if they're reflecting back to the words that Jesus had told them in John 15. Jesus had said to them, this, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. Now, in our context, in our country, in the Yakima Valley, we might not face the same kind of persecution that the early church did. I doubt that we would have the Yakima Police Department send officers into the front door and come in and arrest us because we're preaching from God's word. But holy boldness will create opposition. And if we are bold in the name of Christ, we, in our day and age, in the Yakima Valley, will see opposition. We might not fear the same kind of persecution that the early church did, but our, our opposition is real. And oftentimes for us, it comes in the form of fear of rejection and fear of ridicule. We may feel the need to share Christ with people, to share who Jesus is and the love that he has for them. But in the back of our minds, we have this fear of what if I'm rejected? What if I become ridiculed because of what I believe? What if they don't accept what I believe to be true? What if, what if they call me intolerant? Some of you has, have faced this. Some of you have faced this. When you became a Christian, you knew that it would alienate you from your family. You knew that by becoming a Christian and following Christ, that your family and your friends would turn their backs on you. You faced opposition 
That is persecution. And you see, if we are going to see God working in our midst, if we are going to see God's mission unfold right here at Restoration Church before our eyes, we need to realize that our holy boldness will result in opposition. But fortunately, the cool thing is, is here in Acts chapter 4, we see that even though the persecution arose, even though Peter and John were interrupted and arrested in the middle of the sermon, verse 4 says that 5,000 men believed. I love this because it comes to the, it carries the idea that even though there's persecution, it can't stop the mission of God. Even though we face opposition, even though we face hard times, they can't stop the mission of God from igniting. So Peter and John, they spent the night in, in jail. And they're called the next day before the Sanhedrin, which is basically Israel's supreme court. Some of these folks are the same folks who sent Jesus to the cross and crucified Jesus. And so you've got to believe that Peter and John, as they're standing before the Sanhedrin, they've got to be remembering, man, these are the same people that sent Jesus to the cross. So the Sanhedrin asked them, by what power, by what name did they do this miracle? And before Peter responds, before he responds, verse 8 says that he was filled with the Spirit. See, this is point number two for us today. Holy boldness is a result of being filled with the Spirit. Matt, I wish I could say, I wish I could say that Peter and John, they, they drank some special Kool-Aid. And, and it gave them the ability to be these super uber-duber Christians. I wish there was a pill that we could market and say, if you take this pill, you'll be a great Christian and you'll have this boldness because we could market that and we could sell that and we could, we could do some good things with that money. But this Peter we read about, boldly proclaiming who Jesus is in the resurrection, this is a result of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gave them the holy boldness to stand against these same people who crucified their Savior. This is the same thing that we see time and time again throughout the book of Acts. Their holy boldness is a result of being filled with the Spirit. This Peter that we read about, boldly proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection, this is kind of a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde picture of Peter before and after. Because we remember Peter being the coward, being afraid to stand up for Christ, being afraid of the opposition. And here, being filled with the Spirit, we see him being, being willing to boldly proclaim who Jesus is. And it's all a result of being filled with the Spirit. So here, Peter, filled with the Spirit, he proclaims to this ruling council that Jesus of Nazareth, whom they crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this Jesus through this Jesus, this man has been healed. But look at what Peter says in verse 11. He says in verse 11 that this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the, poor, the cornerstone. Peter is quoting from Psalm 118. See, these religious leaders, they should have been the builder of God's church on the earth. They should have been the builders. They were supposed to be pointing people to the promised Messiah so that they would put their faith in him and be saved. But instead, they rejected the very Savior that God had sent for them. And notice in this verse that, that they describe Jesus as the cornerstone. You see, the cornerstone is a stone that is extremely necessary to an entire structure. As you're building, the cornerstone is the key. Because 
The cornerstone is at the bottom of the corner of the wall. And if the cornerstone is wobbly, if the cornerstone is misplaced even a little bit, there's no real chance that the walls are going to be able to withstand long term. And so Christ Jesus, who was crucified, he is the cornerstone leader of God's church. See, number three for us this morning is if we are going to have the same kind of holy boldness as Peter and John, we've got to understand that holy boldness is rooted in God's word. Holy boldness is rooted in God's word. Here, Peter has the opportunity to share whatever he wants in front of these, these religious people, this, this ruling council. And, and, and Peter comes back and brings it back to the scriptures. We see this all, all the time throughout the book of Acts. And each of our chapters so far, Peter comes back to the word of God and says, this is what the word of God says. Peter is grounded in God's word. He is reading it. He is teaching it. He is proclaiming it. And see, for us, we understand that the Bible is the sword that is quick and powerful. And if we are going to have the same kind of holy boldness that Peter and John did, we've got to be a people who are grounded in God's word, who are reading it, who are learning it, who are understanding it, who are applying it, who are sharing it. And I've, I've said this every week at Restoration Church. When we come to Restoration Church, I'm not going to give you a lecture on how to be good people, on, on ways to improve your life, on how to be a better and, and happier you. We're going to come in and we're going to teach the Word of God. We're going to teach the Word of God. You know, the last four weeks, five weeks, we've been studying through the first three chapters of the book of Acts. And I'll tell you, we've got three more weeks in this series. We'll get all the way through Acts chapter 5. You know where we're going next week because we are going to be studying God's Word because it's got to be our foundation. Because a holy boldness is rooted in God's word. Sir Peter finishes this mini-sermon to the Sanhedrin. And notice in verse 13 the response of the Sanhedrin. It says in verse 13 that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And they were astonished. See, I love the fact. I love this fact. And this, in fact, is point number four, four for us today. That holy boldness is available to all people. By perceiving that these men were uneducated and common men, they're really realizing that Peter and John, man, they didn't have any formal uh, training in theology. They hadn't been to rabbinical school or be, they hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't been to Bible college. They were just ordinary, normal, normal folks. And I love this because God needs only common, ordinary people to accomplish his mission. God doesn't need uber-duper, great, capable people. He needs you and I. He needs normal, common, everyday people. And I love this because it gives me hope. Despite their lack of formal training, they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke with a freedom and a passion and a boldness that impressed this, this ruling council, their judges. With poise and with confidence, they calmly stood their ground and proclaimed the message. See, I love this because it gives me hope. It gives me hope that God can use even somebody like me. You might not be well-educated. You might come from a rough background. You might say, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But guess what? God can and will use every one of us to accomplish his mission. And that's good news. That is good news that God can and will use every one of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what our background is. So the Sanhedrin, they aren't exactly sure what to do. 
This former beggar is standing before them. He's obviously healed. One of the things I love, actually, here's a side note, a rabbit trail. As you read through this passage, I love uh, every time you see the beggar mentioned, it says he's standing. <sighs> of course, he spent 40 years sitting in front of the temple. Of course, man, you got power in your legs. You're going to be standing the entire time and probably going to be up there dancing because he's got legs. They can move, you know. That was a side note. So uh, this former beggar, he's obviously standing in front of them and he's healed and, and they can't deny that. In fact, it says that the people around in the temple, they're praising God for this miracle. So the Sanhedrin are thinking, what the heck do we do with this? They send Peter and John out. They say, we need to have a, we need to have a little meeting to try and determine the best move. And they say, you know, for us, we think the best thing that we can do is try to silence Peter and John by commanding them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So they call Peter and John in and they say, you know what, guys? Here's the deal. We can't do anything to you right now. But we're commanding you not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. But look, at, but look at Peter and John's response in verses 19 and 20. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. See, Peter and John are making point number five for us. The holy boldness expresses what is sure. Peter and John say, hey, dudes, you decide if we're right to listen to God rather than men. But all we are going to do is speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. We won't preach crazy things. We're going to only speak about the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard. <laughs> they saw the risen Lord Jesus. They saw the resurrection. They saw him ascend into heaven. They heard Jesus explain from them the many scriptures and passages about himself. They had seen God heal this lame man by his power. And as a, result, as a result, they spoke confidently about these matters. They spoke with boldness over the things that they had seen and they had heard. Because holy boldness expresses what is sure. Look, for me, for me, I know for certain, I know for certain that God loved me when nobody else did. I know for certain that Jesus saved me through faith in his name. And I know that he will save anyone who will call upon his name. That is what I know. That is what I can say and I can share for sure because it is what I know. It is what I've seen. It is what I've heard. Anyone who has called upon the name of the Lord to save him from his sins knows that he is mighty to save even the chief of sinners. <laughs> Peter and John knew that Jesus had changed their lives. The formerly crippled man, the beggar, he knew in the name of Jesus that he'd been saved, that he'd been healed. And these are the mighty things, these are the things that we should be proclaiming, that God has saved you. What else has God done in your life? What are the blessings that God has provided in your life? What are the freedoms that God has given you in your life? These are the things that we can proclaim because we know them to be true. These are the things that we know for sure. These are the truths that we should be telling the people. And to try and draw this to a close, I want to draw your attention to one more thing. In fact, this is the biggest thing out of this passage, which is why I saved it for last. Look, look with me at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's read that verse together. Shelby, can you put that verse up here? 
I want you guys to read this out loud with me. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I would highly recommend that you memorize this verse. Because our last point, and the one thing that if you don't get anything else I said today, but if you get this, I'll, I'll, I'll be pleased, is that holy boldness emphatically declares Jesus. You see, it is all about Jesus. This was a reason that even though Peter and John were threatened by the Sanhedrin not to preach Christ anymore, even though they would face persecution and potentially face death like their Savior, this is the reason that they could do it because they realized it was all about Jesus. They realized that, that verse 12 gave them the fuel to carry it on. This is a message that they were entrusted to by God. This was the mission of God to get this message out that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. This was their mission, proclaiming this message to a lost and a dying the world. This message and the importance of this message, it gave them the holy boldness. It gave Peter and John the holy boldness to proclaim this message despite the threats of persecution, of ridicule, of, of rejection. Now I want to ask for a holy boldness on myself today. If you are new to us, I want you to hear this message. I want you to hear this today. There is no other way to peace with God except through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I know we live in a different world that has a different message. You hear people say that Jesus is one way, but he's not the only way. They say there's a little bit of truth in all religions, so if you're sincere about whatever you believe, that's good enough. No one can tell you that what you sincerely believe is wrong. But I want you to know, you can take all the religious names of history. You can take Buddha, and you can take Muhammad, and Confucius, and Joseph Smith, and Pope Benedict. And many of these, these religious uh, figures of history, they've uttered good moral teachings. But do you know what none of those names can do? None of those names can make you whole. None of them can save you. That is why the name of Jesus is above every other name. Listen, I want you to realize that even being, part of, uh, being, even being a part of Restoration Church won't save you. Attending church, getting baptized, being a good person, these are all good things. But none of them will save you. There is only one way for us to be made right with God, and it is through the life, death, and and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. If you're tracking with me this morning, and this is finally clicking for you today, if you're getting it, and you're ready to say, okay, I choose Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Savior. In a minute, can I invite you to come up to the front with me and pray with me and talk with me? I'd love to talk with you and pray with you as Jesus is calling you to himself. And if you're a believer in here today, I want you to get this straight as well. There is no other name. We need not to apologize for it just because our culture finds it uncomfortable. 
We need not fear the rejection and ridicule that we might face from proclaiming this message of Jesus Christ alone. Because I tell you what, those that may reject you, those that may ridicule you, they're still going to be bound for hell unless they hear that message and unless God saves them. See, this is a message that God has entrusted us with. And we need a holy boldness. We need to pray for a holy boldness that we would boldly proclaim it is all about Jesus Christ. Let's proclaim it boldly. Let's proclaim it often. As the worship team comes up, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning. There are two ways for you to respond this morning. The first is to sing. You see, the gospel means good news. And good news makes us want to worship. It makes us want to sing. makes us want to celebrate. So I invite you to respond with us and join with us as we sing and worship our Savior. And the second response today is to pray. If God is speaking to you, if he's drawing you in, if you're carrying a burden this morning that you need to get rid of, Maybe you're feeling the guilt of your sin, and you know that today you need to repent. I encourage you, during this response time, to call out to God. Call out to God. Don't leave here without getting things settled with Him. Don't leave here without making things right with God. As I mentioned earlier, during this response time, we'll have a couple of counselors up front and myself. If you'd like to talk with one of us, or you'd like to have one of us pray for you, Come forward to one of these front rows and we'd love to pray with you.